being sure of what we hope for and certain of what we don't see. Faith is not just there for us. Faith is is a grabbing hold. It's a looking forward, looking ahead to what God has for us. Verse 6 in our 11th chapter takes it to another level. It challenges us to see why faith matters to the follower of Christ. Because without faith, it's impossible to please him. Because he who comes to God must believe that he is and that he is a rewarder of those who seek him. See, having faith isn't simply just knowing that God exists. James 2.19 tells us that even the demons believe that God exists. What the writer of Hebrews is saying here is that we must believe that God is all that he says he is in his word. Because for, he, for the one who comes to God, he must believe that he is holy. He must believe that God is just, that God is good. He must believe that God is love, that God is mercy and wrath. He must believe that God is the Father, the Holy Spirit, and our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. He must believe and know that God is all-knowing, all-powerful, and sovereign, and the ruler of all things. The second part of verse 6 says he's a rewarder of those who seek him. (coughs) Faith isn't a passive thing. Faith demands action. James 2.17 says that faith without works is dead. Faith by itself isn't enough. Unless it produces good deeds, it is dead and useless. Ouch. Jesus' words to the disciples in Matthew 7, 21. Not everyone who calls out to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven. Only those who actually do the will of my Father will enter heaven. Each verse that we've looked at in this 11th chapter so far starts out by faith. And then there's an action to remind us of how they prove their faith. By faith, Abel worshipped. By faith, (coughs) Enoch walked. By faith, Noah built an ark. By faith, Abraham went. By faith, Isaac blessed Jacob and Esau. By faith, Jacob leaned on his staff. And by faith, Joseph gave instructions concerning his bones. Faith demands action. But before an action can be taken, a choice must be made. And life is full of choices. From the time we get up in the morning... A choice must be made. Are we going to get out of bed? Or are we going to stay in bed? What are we going to eat for breakfast? Are we going to skip breakfast? What are we going to wear today? Now some of our choices can result 
and significant consequences for us. What's, what's my career going to be? What job do I choose? Where do I settle down? Where do I move? Where do I live? Some choices can result in significant consequences for others. In the 1920s, the Red Sox team sold Babe Ruth to the Yankees. In 10 of the following 12 seasons, he went on to hit more home runs than the entire Red Sox baseball team. In what they called the Bambino curse. That was a big consequence for many years for a lot of people, if you care about baseball. <laughs> In the 1930s, there were two young comic book creators that created a comic book character. They happened to sell all the rights to this one character for only $130. That character was Superman. In the 1950s, a young record producer sold his exclusive contract with an up-and-coming musician that he knew could go much further than he could ever take him. So he sold the contract. That young musician was Elvis Presley. Sometimes our choices have significant impact and significant consequences for us and for others. And tonight we're going to look at two choices that were made by faith whose consequences involve temporary suffering yet eternal rewards. Let's turn to Hebrews 11 starting in verse 23. By faith Moses' parents hid him for three months after he was born because they saw he was no ordinary child, and they were not afraid of the king's edict. All parents believe that their child is special. And they're, uh, my child's not an ordinary child. Your child is probably not an ordinary child to you. All of us think our children are special, and they are. They should be. They should be special to us. But there had to have been some sign from God for Moses' parents to recognize, hey, this is the one. This is the one that God told us about. And so they set him apart. It actually led them to hide him from the authorities for three months. But why did they have to hide him? Last time we heard about the Israelites, they were living pretty well. They were in Goshen, in Egypt. Joseph was still in charge, and they were doing pretty well. But let's pick up their story in Exodus 1, starting in verse 6. In time, Joseph and all his brothers died, ending that entire generation. But their descendants, the Israelites, had many children and grandchildren. In fact, they multiplied so greatly that they became extremely powerful and filled the land. Eventually, a new, came, a new king came to power in Egypt who knew nothing about Joseph or what he had done. He said to his people, 
Look, the people of Israel now outnumber us and are stronger than we are. We must make a plan to keep them from growing even more. If we don't, and if war breaks out, they will join our enemies and fight against us, and they will escape from the country. So the Egyptians made the Israelites their slaves. They put brutal slave drivers over them. But the more the Egyptians oppressed them, the more the Israelites multiplied and spread. And then the more alarmed the Egyptians became. Then the Pharaoh, the king of Egypt, gave this order to the Hebrew midwives. When you help the Hebrew woman as they give birth, watch as they deliver. If the boy is born, kill him. If it's a girl, let her live. But because the midwives feared God, they refused to obey the king's orders, and they allowed the boys to live too. Then the king of Egypt kind of catches on, okay, something's not right here. What's going on? So he calls the midwives in. He says, what have you, why have you done this? He demanded. Why have you allowed the boys to live? The Hebrew women are not like the Egyptian woman, the midwives replied. They're more vigorous and have their babies so quickly that we cannot get there in time. Kind of. Not really lying. They're not lying. They're just not telling the whole story. So God was good to the midwives. And the Israelites continued to multiply, growing more and more powerful. And because the midwives feared God, he gave them families of their own. There's that reward. God rewards those who seek him. Then Pharaoh gave this order to all his people. Throw every newborn Hebrew boy into the Nile River. But you may let the girls live. Now with this order, every Egyptian becomes a potential spy. It was supposed to report a Hebrew boy or just choose to throw the baby boy into the river themselves with no consequence. To disobey Pharaoh would have meant a death sentence. But Moses' parents weren't about to kill their own child. They weren't about to disobey God's word. God's word tells us to respect authority and obey laws but only when they don't interfere with his laws. God's authority supersedes all earthly authority, no matter what the consequences might be. There come times when, as followers of Christ, we have to make that decision. Are we going to follow man, or are we going to follow God? And following God will always require risk. It will always require sacrifice on some level. It happens all over the world. If you go to the Voice of the Martyrs website, there's story after story after story of Christians thrown into prison because of their faith in Jesus Christ and adhering to his laws. There's stories of churches that are being bombed or burned to the ground because they're following God's laws. Even closer to home last summer, a Christian pastor in Vermont was sentenced to a year in prison 
because he refused to perform a same-sex wedding ceremony. Following God and not authority in the world will cost you. Just this month in Russia, there was another law that just came out forbidding all evangelism. In homes, you can't go on your social media. You cannot talk about your religion in any way, shape, or form unless you're in a church building. That is the only way that you can talk about God. All the pastors over there are saying, we're not going to follow it, no matter what it costs us, because he's more important. We have to decide. Do we fear God, or do we fear man? Luke 12, verses 4 through 7, says, Dear friends, don't be afraid of those who want to kill your body. They cannot do any more to you after that. But I'll tell you whom to fear. Fear God, who has the power to kill you and throw you into hell. Yes, he's the one to fear. What is the price of five sparrows? Two copper coins? Yet God does not forget a single one of them. And the very hairs on your head are all numbered. So don't be afraid. You are more valuable to God than a whole flock of sparrows. A biblical fear of God for a follower of Christ is simply about understanding how much God hates sin and fearing his judgment on sin. Even in the life of a believer, the word describes God's discipline of the believer. Even though it's done in love, it's still a fearful thing. When we were children, the fear of discipline from our parents kept us from probably doing some pretty stupid things. The same holds true in our relationship with God. We should fear his discipline and seek to live our lives in such a way that pleases him that glorifies him. And this way, that's how we become more like him. We're not supposed to be scared of God because we have no reason to be scared of him. We have his promise that nothing can separate us from him. No power in the sky above or in the earth below. Nothing in all creation will ever be able to separate us from the love of God that is revealed in Christ Jesus our Lord. We have his promise that he'll never leave us or forsake us. He says, I will never fail you. I will never abandon you. But fearing God means having such a reverence for him that it has a great impact on the way that we choose to live. Fear of God is is a respecting of him. It's obeying him. It's submitting to his discipline and worshiping him in awe. And that's exactly where Moses' parents are at. They're choosing to obey God. They're worshiping him. And so they choose to defy the order from Pharaoh. Their fear of God, their adoration for God is their motivation to choose him and his promises over the consequences of what it might cost them. They know that hiding their son could result in punishment for all of them, for the entire family. Yet, they're willing to risk it and suffer the consequences. 
Imagine how life had to be like for those three months. Babies cry. They had to figure out a way to, to muffle those cries a little bit. So the spies that are walking around don't hear the baby. They had to live secretly, not have people over. They had to live separate from everybody else. Now one might suspect that if God was going to protect Moses, then why didn't they just keep him out in the open and see what happens? Well, when we act by faith, it starts first with prayer. And it's a heart that's seeking God's will. When we act by faith, it's not a, a tempting of fate. Tempting fate is really just taking a risk based on luck. And that's what it would have been had they just ran out and said, oh yeah, here's our baby. God said he's going to protect them, so here we are. That wasn't acting by faith. Living by faith is not taking reckless chances. It's trusting in an all-powerful and an all-knowing God. Because when we live by faith, the risk that we take is really not a risk at all. Because it stands firm upon the confidence that we have in God's purposes and his promises. It stands firm upon the character of God. What risk is there in trusting God to fulfill his word? There's not really any risk in that at all. See, Moses' parents feared disappointing God. They feared offending him more than they feared the death sentence for going against the Pharaoh. And God rewarded that faith. Three months go by, and for some reason they decide that they can't do this anymore. And so Moses' mom puts together a papyrus basket. And she places her baby boy in it. And she lets him go down the river, praying and trusting God for her child. Her daughter Miriam watches as her baby brother drifts down the river and ends up in front of Pharaoh's daughter. Coincidence? Pharaoh's daughter falls in love with this baby. And Miriam walks up and says, Would you like a nurse to care for this baby? Yes, of course, if you can do that. God arranged it so that Moses' parents still had the privilege of raising him. Moses' mother is hired to care for her own son, ensuring his safety and his faithful upbringing. Now think of this. The very Pharaoh that ordered <laughs> Moses' death was the one that was paying his parents to take care of him for 12 years. Is that an awesome God? Amen. Amen. That is the God that we have faith in. That is the God that we trust in. Wow. Look at that. That story is amazing. Moses' parents weren't able, were able in those 12 years that they had him, they were able to pass on to him all the Messianic promises that God would visit and deliver his people from the slaves, being slaves in Egypt. 
They would have taught him about Joseph's bones being a sign of those promises. Moses grew up to be one of the greatest leaders in Jewish history. He delivered the Jews from slavery. And through divine inspiration, he wrote the first five books of the Bible. His parents' choice to hide him had huge, huge consequences for world history. They are a great example to us of how our choice is to live by faith. Our choice to take the risk and trust in God can have a major and lasting impact on another person. But what happened to Moses? Because he made some choices too. Some choices by faith that had some pretty dire consequences for him. Let's pick up in Hebrews chapter 11, starting in verse 24. By faith, Moses, when he had grown up, refused to be known as the son of Pharaoh's daughter. He chose to be mistreated along with the people of God rather than to enjoy the fleeting pleasures of sin. He regarded disgrace for the sake of Christ as of greater value than the treasures of Egypt because he was looking ahead to his reward. By faith he left Egypt, not fearing the king's anger. He persevered because he saw him who is invisible. The word tells us in Acts 7.22 that Moses was taught all the wisdom of the Egyptians. And he was powerful in both speech and action. He received all the benefits of growing up in the house of Pharaoh. Yet, when he's 40, he turns his back on all of it. Acts 7, starting in verse 23. But when he was approaching the age of 40, it entered his mind to visit his brethren, the sons of Israel. When he saw one of them being treated unjustly, he defended him and took vengeance for the oppressed by striking down the Egyptian. And he supposed that his brethren understood that God was granting them deliverance through him, but they did not understand. It says Moses went to visit his brethren, the sons of Israel. He's made the choice to identify as an Israelite, not an Egyptian. He chose to identify himself as a child of God and take those consequences of mistreatment and disgrace for the sake of Christ. When he chose God, he risked alienation from his adoptive family. Sometimes that happens for me and you. Sometimes when we choose Christ, we lose friends. Sometimes we may lose family. When he refused and sacrificed a position of high honor, Moses, he lived in luxury. But when he chose to be identified as a child of God, he lost it all. The Israelites were slaves, so when he identified with them, he too was now considered a slave. Moses knew that God's eternal rewards are far greater than any rewards he may receive from living in Pharaoh's home. And so by faith he left Egypt, not fearing the king's anger. He persevered because he saw him who is invisible. Like his birth parents, he feared God more than he feared the king. 
Well, if he didn't fear the king, then why did he have to run? Why did he leave? Because he knew that God had a plan for him. What we just read was he wanted the Israelites to understand that God was going to use him to deliver them. So he knew that God was going to use him. In Egypt, there was a death warrant out for him. The king wanted him dead. So he had to flee Egypt to save his life and start to figure out, well, how are you going to use me, God? How are you going to use me to save these people? That's why he left. Moses persevered because he saw him who was invisible. That's our definition of faith again. Faith is the assurance of things hoped for, the conviction of things not seen. Moses was assured of God's presence in his life. He refused the worldly honor of royalty, and he chose God and his people. He sought God, and God rewarded him. When he chose God, he gained the company of God's people. See, the body of Christ, you know, we can have some difficult people in here, me included, you, you, you know. We can be difficult to get along with at times. But it is far more encouraging and edifying to journey towards heaven with the people in this room, with God's people, than it is to live among the self-seekers of the world. Moses was able to look ahead towards heaven because faith rests on eternity. In this world, Moses had to endure suffering for a short time compared to the lifetime and eternity that he was going to have. Romans 8, 18 says, Yet what we suffer now is nothing compared to the glory he will reveal to us later. If we want to live by faith, we must weigh the temporary pleasures of sin against the eternal punishment in hell. And we have to weigh the temporary afflictions of this world against the eternal joy of heaven. One of the aspects of Christian maturity is our ability to refuse the world and choose Christ, no matter the cost. The choices we make in life, they will not only affect our life, but they'll affect others. And if we're going to become more like Christ, there will be choices and challenges that test our faith just so it can grow. And those choices, they're going to involve risk. They're going to involve sacrifice. Some of those choices might be seemingly insignificant to us. But those ones matter just as much as the big ones. Little white lies. Here and there. Oh, my office won't miss it if I take a couple of pens. A couple things here. Oh, I went to the grocery store. They forgot to charge me for, for this item here. Oh, but that's okay. It was a blessing from God. That's okay. I don't need to go back and tell them. Those little things, those add up. See, a boat is made to be in the water. The water is not meant to be in the boat. 
Likewise, a follower of Christ is made to be in the world. The world is not meant to be in the follower of Christ. If you poke enough holes in the hull of the boat, the water's going to creep in. And eventually the boat's going to sink. Likewise, if we choose the world over Christ and even the little things, eventually the world's going to fill us up and sink us. We need to refuse the treasures and the attitudes of this world. We need to choose Christ first no matter what. No matter the risk, no matter the cost. Knowing that God sacrificed his only son for us, knowing that Jesus gave his life for ours, is there really any sacrifice, anything at all, that God would ask you to do where you would say, no, Lord, I'm sorry, that's just too much. I can't do it. When we need to make a choice to act by faith, to choose to love in a way that matters. The question we need to be asking, which choice will glorify God more? Which one will bring him the glory? Not, not what's going to make me feel good. Not what's going to make me feel better. But God, which one is going to make you get the glory? And that's what it all comes down to. That's what Moses did. That's what his parents did. That's why we're talking about them here tonight. Holy Father, Holy Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you for these examples of faith, Father, that, that challenge us in our walk with you, that challenge us in our journey to become more like your son. Father, as we leave this place, may your word stay with us. May we feel challenged to grow, Father. May we feel challenged to be more like Jesus. May we be challenged to make a change where we need to change, Father. So that when the world out there looks at us, they see you. Father, as we leave this place, I ask a blessing upon every person in this room. I ask you to be with those who can join us this evening. Father, thank you for Jesus. In his precious name, amen.